Now, I know what you're going to say. The hellscape that is Las Vegas has been found ages ago. While Vegas may look like a modern-day Sodom, it is nothing compared to the ancient real Sodom, and archaeologists think they just found it. Quote, What everyone agrees on is that something unusual happened at Tal el-Hammam, an ancient settlement near the Dead Sea. In a layer of ancient earth, archaeologists claim to have found evidence of an apocalyptic event. Melted rooftops, disintegrated pottery, unusual patterns in the rock formations that can be associated with intense heat for another three to six centuries after 1650 BC. The settlement's 100 acre, acres lay fallow. But when Stephen Collins, the principal archaeologist at Tal el-Hammam, considered the scientist's evidence in an article that ran last year in the respected scientific journal Nature, he claimed that the incineration matched with the place and timing of the biblical account of Sodom and Gomorrah. This brought down on himself what in academic circles might be considered hellfire. So the reason this conclusion is being accepted by even secular scholars is because of things like this. Pottery removed from the site seemed to be glazed, which would suggest that it comes from the Ottoman Empire, which would date around 1000 AD. That's when they started glazing pottery. And therefore, the site is much younger than the time of Sodom. But all the other finds at the site had the classic earmarks of the Bronze Age. When sent to a lab, the pottery came back positive for trinitite, which is what happens to glass when, it has hit, when it's been hit with heat comparable to an atomic bomb, which means this pottery was exposed to heat above 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So whatever happened at this location, um, let's just say it was hot. There were, there were no arrowheads or any other warfare devices that would suggest burning of the grounds by a foreign army. And by the way, it isn't believed that it's DEWs. Uh, so all of you Maui fire conspiracists can just go back to those channels. Um, most surprisingly, though, of all, there were remains of skeletons and houses that were intact on the lower half. And then the top half were entirely missing. And then on the top was only a scorch mark, which suggested the reason it was missing is because, dude, it got hot and something burned off the top of those things. Taken together, you have massive evidence that a heat blast swept across these twin cities on the Jordanian side of the river north of the Dead Sea, located exactly where biblical Sodom, Sodom was said to have been located. Of course, there's a naturalistic explanation of a meteor shower, which would not discount the biblical story, which puts atheists and secularists in quite a difficult spot. To be intellectually honest, they would have to admit that the most plausible story given the evidence is that the Bible story must at least be partially or entirely true, which means they have to go back and start wondering about those other stories in the Bible. To ward off against that kind of intellectual honesty, many naturalists practice an intellectual fallacy known as confirmation bias. They take a set of facts and reinterpret them to match their intellectual priors. Confirmation bias is a way in which people arrive at the same kind of conclusion that they were more likely to agree with. In that way, confirmation bias is a protection mechanism that all of us, to one degree or another, has developed as a frugal way of thinking in the world. It keeps us from really bogging down too much with information that we grapple with on a regular basis. Instead of doing that, we just kind of use a set of facts that we're accustomed to and we try to make sense of the world using those set of facts. But very often, it can lead us to the wrong idea if we're not careful. We all have to use a certain set of facts to try to interpret the world. The real problem is, is when we try to understand the world 
and we're front-loaded with a bunch of ideological nonsense that influences the way we think, we have to be willing to push aside our priors. For instance, when Trump is a bad orange man, you can justify anything that may happen to him. You can overlook the fact that he's never been arrested in his whole life until the last five months where he has been indicted four times. And the fact that all of this is on the eve of one of the biggest elections in recent memory. For those willing to defy their echo chamber and venture out of the cave to wonder if you are watching a group of people abuse their power and to eliminate a political opponent, you might be pleasantly surprised. More importantly, venturing far beyond the darkness into the light, you might ask yourself, is the inability to change our mind regardless of the evidence perhaps the most dangerous problem facing America today? To let the evidence lead you where it may, even if you have to admit you've been wrong, may bring the house of cards you've built for yourself tumbling down, but it will also lead to clarity that will change your life and, by the way, make you a much more you know, pleasant person to be around instead of always insisting that you're right when you're dead wrong. But be careful. You may have to admit, if you go this route, that the baby in the womb is a person and murder isn't that great. You may have to admit that those breasts actually belong to a woman. And you may have to admit that homosexuality probably is a choice and a whole host of other things that have driven this world mad. But a few brave folks let the evidence speak for itself. And that's all it takes. And that's what we'll try to do today on IndieThinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to do yourself a big favor and check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Anchor can help you with all of your business solutions, whether that's staffing, bookkeeping, accounting, or doing anything to just make sure the man isn't coming for you. They can help you with compliance issues and even strategies to scale your business and take the next step. Now, Devan and his guys over at Anchor are just absolutely the best. But not only can they help you with your small business, but they can actually help you create a business for yourself. In fact, they can offer you training in becoming a certified public accountant. If that's something that's interesting to you, not only is there a lot of money in it, but also it creates value for our world. It's one of the great things about capitalism is that if you can teach yourself a trade, you can monetize that trade, and then you can help and benefit yourself, but also the people who benefit from that trade. And accounting is a fantastic way to do that. So nonetheless, I'd highly encourage you to check out our show sponsor today at anchor.biz. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Again, by supporting them, you're supporting this show, but most importantly, you're supporting yourself and the great future that you have by going with a great company like Anchor. Remember back in the day when Ben Shapiro schooled Piers Morgan and exposed the leftist tactic of trying to stand on the graves of people who have been shot in order to try to implement policy procedures rather than to actually speak about the real issue whenever any shooting takes place. Here's just a flashback from that epic moment that became one of the biggest moments in Ben Shapiro's life and turned him kind of into an overnight success. Check it out. Uh, you know, honestly, Pierce, you've kind of been a bully on this issue because what you do, and I've seen it repeatedly on your show, I watch your show, um, and I've seen it repeatedly, what you tend to do is you tend to demonize people who differ from you politically by standing on the graves of the children of Sandy Hook, saying they don't seem to care enough about the dead kids. If they cared more about the dead kids, they would agree with you on policy. I think we can have a rational political conversation about balancing rights and risks and rewards of all of these different policies, but I don't think that what we need to do is demonize people on the other side as, as being unfeeling 
about, the, about what happened in Sandy How dare you accuse me of standing on the grades? The reason I showed you that clip is that the left is at it again. They are using, this time, a Jacksonville shooting to try to gin up anger and resentment, especially in light of an election that's coming pretty soon here. Trust me, this is going to happen more and more. There might even be a huge national conversation going into 2024 about racism. And of course, this is just the tip of the iceberg here because this Jacksonville shooter went into a local store in Jacksonville and then killed black people. Apparently, he was specifically gunning for black people. He had a swatch to cut on his uh, one of his guns, and he also left a manifesto, which we were very quick to see, oddly enough, in this shooting. Now, I know it would be enough just to simply talk about this shooting and then to talk about the families that are suffering as a result of this, this insane tragedy, of course. And you might even ask yourself why I, as a Christian, have to go through the trouble of, of trying to pinpoint the hypocrisy of the left when they quickly try to blame the right for shootings like this thing that just took place in uh, Jacksonville. And you say, well, isn't it enough just to condemn this? And, and that's what I'm going to do at the end of this, uh, by the way. But I think it's also important that we be really honest and really savvy to understand exactly what we're seeing all around us and to understand the tactics that, uh, are, that are attempts to try to deceive us all. So to understand this Jacksonville shooter and his agenda in light of more broadly what, whether the extreme right is kind of ginning up these kind of attacks, what, what we need to do is we need to do a little bit of comparison here. Um, and we need to see that, oddly enough, that the manifesto of this Jacksonville killer was presented immediately, and today we are still waiting on the manifesto of this trans shooter. Now, by the way, uh, when the right is accused of ginning up um, kind of right-wing extremism and racial crimes, um, and then the right accuses the left of doing the same, like in the Nashville shooting of those Christian children and, and adults at this Christian school, uh, when the right back and forth here and they say, well, you're guilty of ginning up this kind of hatred and you're ginning up, uh, guilty of ginning up this kind of hatred, there is one side of the aisle, frankly, that can draw a straighter line between the kind of rhetoric that they use and how it causes these shootings to proliferate. So, in other words, right now, the for some reason, the right is always considered the the, the right-wing extremist anyway, or considered the, the party of uh, people who hate black people. Um, however, we do not hear very often about crimes committed by black people against white people, specific racial crimes where black people are targeting white people. We'll get to that in just a moment. But to draw a straight line between specifically this Nashville shooter, um, I, I, when, when left-wing activists say that if you don't affirm a person's gender identity, if you don't use their pronouns, then essentially you're committing a genocide against them. Well, that kind of rhetoric definitely gens up the kind of hatred that the LGBTQ community has for the right and then creates a catalyst for the kind of shootings like we saw in Nashville. To prove that the left is way worse at this kind of rhetoric that could gin up some of these things, let me take you back to a 2020 killing where a black man specifically targeted white people. And this is according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Enraged black man targets whites. An enraged black man, Ronald Taylor, sets out on a rampage targeting whites in Pittsburgh. This time the gunman was black. I'm not gonna hurt 
any black people, the 39-year-old said. He said, I'm just out to kill white people. He has been charged with murder and hate crimes in the attacks. And in the attacks, he killed three white men and critically injured two more. So does anybody actually remember this story? Do you remember there being national news coverage about this black man who wanted to go around killing white people? You probably don't, and there's a good reason for that. This story sounds exactly what the media uh, cooks up constantly, where old white liberals and young black liberals and Robin DiAngelo want to try to get on the news for a moment, and they name um, white supremacy and all of these things as a reason for why this person might have done this kind of things rather than doing what we should do. Now, I'll get to that in a moment, but name the analog on the right where black people are blamed for making the life of white people harder. I'm, I'm scratching my head to try to find a single white person that blames black people for this kind of thing and then gins up this kind of racial animosity. There's, that certainly happens way more on, on the left. And I'm not saying there isn't bad people on both sides. Uh, but all I'm trying to say is that if there is one group of people that are more responsible for ginning up this kind of hatred, it is definitely the left and what they do in the media. But more importantly, you know, it's easy for us to cast blame here. It's easy for us to point the finger at the right or to point the finger at the left. It's easy for us even to point the finger at racism or to point the finger at mental illness. And I think we do ourselves a bit of a disservice because perhaps we need to point the finger at something that is fundamentally more important. We need to point the finger at evil. Now, it's interesting to me that we don't like to talk about good and evil. Because the question might come, like, is racism really a mental illness or is that just something that people believe inside of that? Is this a belief? Um, I, I think it's arguable, by the way, that it is a mental illness because you have to be pretty screwed up to believe that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, more importantly, is, is racism evil? Yes. Are the things that can be perpetrated by people who are mentally ill evil? Yes. And if we finally get back to an understanding of what is truly evil, then we won't be talking about right and left. We'll be talking about right and wrong. And we'll all be better for that. Now, I also want to talk about this in our second story here because there's a new show that just came out uh, about opiates. Now, this, there's been a billion different shows, it seems, about this very same subject, about how Big Pharma was in, working in conjunction with, um, with, other, uh, with other doctors and, and things to try to push oxycodone. And as a result of it, it created one of the biggest uh, drug addiction epidemics the world has ever seen. Now, here's just a quick trailer for the brand new next Netflix show, Painkillers. Oxycoffins. Excuse me? Don't put that in the notes. We are under investigation. Could you tell me everything you know about Oxycontin? You like horror movies? Maybe the bad, bad things. You will be convincing doctors to take pain seriously. Oxycontin is the one to start with and the one to stay with. The more you prescribe, the more you'll help. It is now the number one opioid in the country. This drug is permeating every part of our community. Now, there's really only one reason I wanted to show you that trailer and bring this show up, because there's a lot of talk now about remasking and going back to some of our pandemic mandates as a result of a new strand of COVID that's kind of wreaking havoc on America and other places around the world. And then there's other strands that are being found in other places. And so the big question right now on the lips of everyone who actually thinks that this is going to work, uh, which would be like uh, CDC and and uh, NIH and other 
places like that. Uh, the big question is, is are we going to go back down into lockdown? So just recently, Lionsgate reinstituted a mask mandate. For those of you who don't know what Lionsgate is, that's a production company. And then there's other places even where some uh, school districts in America are discussing whether or not they should go back to social distancing and mask mandates as sickness kind of hits with people coming back to school. So um, again, I, I bring all of that up because this show is actually really well done. I mean, except for the fact that the female lead, which of course happens more and more and more these days, which I would not be, I would not have a problem with if they weren't so incredibly freaking obnoxious. Like, I don't know why females have to try to act like men to try to make them strong. Um, there, there's a way that you can, pr you know, pronounce feminine strength without trying to make women incredibly obnoxious and belligerent all the time. Uh, let ridiculous men act that way. Women, you don't have to try to act like a man to be strong. There's ways in which you can exude strength without being a total pain in the ass. Uh, but anyway, the lead in this show is absolutely that and more. Uh, more importantly is that the show started really fantastic, but what's interesting is that took a U-turn rather quickly, as it often does in Hollywood, which makes me so sad, by the way, that there's still uh, striking in Hollywood because these people that couldn't write their way out of a paper bag anyway um, are claiming, uh, desiring more money when they're destroying Hollywood. So forgive me if I don't care at all that uh, they're striking and I hope they never come back. Uh, suffice to say, part of that bad writing showed up in a very interesting, um, a very interesting moment in this TV series because they were on the verge of something great. They were on the verge of something groundbreaking. They almost, leftist Hollywood almost, made a connection between bureaucrats and big pharma and how evil they can be. But of course, that would have been too much honesty for them. They have to back up the mask mandates. They have to um, make sure to put the, the masks and the syringes in their Twitter profile to show how woke they are. So on the verge of actually becoming um, an enlightened individual, they had to reel it back so that they could remain within the realm of wokeness. And there's this great part in the series where uh, the female lead, who again is incredibly obnoxious, is talking about how big pharma assisted in the biggest drug epidemic of all time with opiates. And in this, she says that bureaucrats are the only ones who can help. I'm a bureaucrat and that's why I need to step in and try to stop these guys from doing what they're doing. Now, what's interesting about that is that obviously the writer of this TV series got too close to an intellectual honest moment um, and needed some confirmation bias to, to help them out. Um, and they, they had to buy back what they were very close to recognizing that these bureaucrats and these government funded organizations that are not elected by people actually were part of the problem in 2020, but they couldn't admit that. So what they had to say is just simply this, that bureaucrats are the ones who keep big pharma in line. But of course we know that's not true. Both of them together line their pockets with people's money and at the expense of people's well-being, and they don't care about the repercussions. Hopefully we understand this by now. Not only as it relates to a COVID vaccine that now has already been proven to, um, to not do any of the things that they said it would do, right? So it, it definitely didn't keep you from contracting the virus. Of course, we were told that if you had it, it would make it less severe, but we were also told when you first got it that, oh, now this is a protection against 
COVID. You take this vaccine, you'll be totally good. So needless to say, uh, we were lied to throughout the pandemic and we're still being lied to. Now, again, the, the show almost got to a really honest moment when they connected corrupted bureaucrats and uh, organizations like the FDA and other places that approve drugs um, with, and, and got too, too close, I think, for their own comfort when it comes to transgenderism. Because, of course, we're watching Big Pharma now line their pockets off the backs of young men and women. Now, I want to show you something that, it, quite frankly, is very disturbing. I saw it the other day. I don't know how a mother can sit there and watch this happen to their child, but here is a video of a child having hormone blockers shoved into their arm. Check it out. You are in the perfect place to start on blockers. And she promises to begin giving her estrogen, female hormones, in two years. Around 13. That's what I think. Yes, you're not going to develop breast buds on the blockers but um, you're not gonna wait until 16 to start. You know that, okay? Josie received the blockers as an implant in her arm. It's okay if you cry. So with all the bravery she could muster, Josie held on tight as another chapter opened in this young girl's life. So this is sick in multiple ways. It's sick because of the mother that's sitting there and trying to encourage her son, who is now getting puberty blockers installed in his arm. Now you should know this too, this boy is 11 years old. And then we're told that in two years, this child will be ready for hormone replacement therapy so that estrogen can start coming in and that this little boy can start developing breasts. Now, I think it's also interesting that you can make the case that this mother maybe doesn't know any better, but the other person in this scenario is that doctor that's speaking to this little confused child and unfortunately doesn't have the ability, the moral fortitude to tell this mother that it would be barbaric to try to shove puberty blockers and, and hormone replacement ther therapy in this very confused child. We cannot trust the experts, not simply because there aren't good experts out there, but because there is too much corruption and too much opportunity for people who want to take advantage of the system to do absolutely that. And so Painkiller is an interesting show, but it's interesting. They want to blame Big Pharma for the opioid crisis, but they don't also want to, by further extension, understand how other institutions that are run by human beings also are incredibly corrupt. That would take a little bit too much honesty, but I guess we'll have to look for honesty from other places other than our civic institutions, and we'll do so in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. You might have heard of a Christian song sweeping the charts, and if you're expecting this song to actually be a Christian song, well, Think again, because this song that has been sweeping Christian charts is actually a song by a drag queen, a performer named Flamey Grant, which is mocking a famous Christian artist, Amy Grant. Now, this song just recently hit the charts as a result of somebody from TPUSA calling out the preacher. Uh, this article from Rolling Stone, which I guess you could just assume in advance because it's Rolling Stone after all, that you will get unbiased, unequivocating, truthful, hard-hitting journalism here. But in this Rolling Stone article, it says, a MAGA preacher condemned a drag queen, then her album topped the Christian charts. By the way, the her here just 
infer it's a, a, a he. It's never a good thing, per se, to get called out on Elon Musk's Twitter.com by a person with more than 100,000 followers. But when it happened last week to drag queen Flamie Grant and singer-songwriter Derek Webb, the, the pair were more than eager to respond. Artists like Flamie and I both wait for these moments. Webb, a contemporary Christian music stalwart who's had success as a solo artist and member of the band Cademan's Call, tells Rolling Stone. By the way, this man is is contemporary, but not Christian, obviously, and also not somebody necessarily that's really busting up the charts as suggested with his solo career. But of course, he had to use the shtick of a man dressing as a woman to gain the attention of people. So nonetheless, last Wednesday, Sean Foyt, a major figure in the religious right who, as Rolling Stone has previously reported, stands at the intersection of far-right Christianity and Donald Trump's MAGA world, he tweeted, if you're wondering the end goal of the deconstruction movement in the church, then look no further than former worship leader Derek Webb's new collab with a drag queen. These are truly the last days. After hearing the song, you would hope that it would be the last days, but unfortunately, we might still have to drudge through some of the nonsense here on this earth. I want to play for you very quickly one of the collabs between Flamey Grant and supposed contemporary Christian artist Derek Webb. So check it out. I heard Jesus loved and spent his life with those who were abandoned by proud and fearful men. So if a church won't celebrate and love you, then leaving lies can't save you or them. Now, obviously, this smoker of a song um, is just so amazing that you can barely hear the words of it, but I just want to clearly illustrate them for you for just a moment. So what you just heard was a chorus to a song by Derek Webb and Flamey Grant, and in it, they say this, I heard Jesus loved and spent his life with those who were abandoned by proud and fearful men. I don't know where you got that from, but it's certainly not the Bible. It's just something you made up. So if a church won't celebrate and love you, there are believing lies that can't save you or them. Now, speaking of believing lies, believing that a man dressing up as a woman somehow becomes a woman, that might sound like a little bit of a lie, but the biggest lie in that that uh, song stanza, if you will, that you just heard was this, this subtle lie that has been told in the culture a whole lot lately. And it is this, that if you love somebody, you will celebrate that person. So it says, I heard Jesus loved. And then it says, if a church won't celebrate and love you. So see how those two things are kind of equivalent to each other, that if somebody um, is to love you, they must celebrate you. They must stand beside your cross-dressing uh, gynophilic fantasies and pat you on the back because that's what real love looks like. I mean, this is what we do. We go to the insane asylum and we just we just celebrate everybody in all the voices that they're hearing in their head, no matter what's going on with them. But what's interesting to me is that this is such a hypocritical thing and Christians have to start being a little bit more savvy as far as this is concerned. Because what's interesting is, is that they are all about being celebrated. They wanna tell you that if you don't celebrate them, you're not loving them and you're not being deferential enough to them and you're not being sufficiently welcoming and how can you win people in the LGBTQ community if you don't welcome them? And by that they mean not only affirm them, but celebrate them. Well, how about the truth of God's word? Now, needless to say, what I can tell you about this is that not only is it ridiculous to equate 
love and celebration, but it's ridiculous to say that these people love in any shape, form, or fashion as they want us to love. So do they really, do they really celebrate Christianity or do they purely mock it? I mean, they want to make fun of Amy Grant. They want to make fun of Christian's stance on uh, biblical sexuality. So they don't celebrate Christianity. No, what they celebrate is their sexually aberrant lifestyle. They celebrate their pride. They celebrate all sorts of stuff, but they don't celebrate authentic Christianity because if they did, they would have to stand beside other Christians and say, hey, I celebrate your right to believe that homosexuality is clearly not biblical. I celebrate your belief that in the beginning, God made them both male and female. I celebrate your belief that what God has put together, let no man put asunder, which is a man and a woman together in marriage. Um, they would say they celebrate that, but they don't. They don't want to celebrate us. They just want us to celebrate them. So here's the deal is after Sean Foyt brought this all up, it's interesting that what took place was this washed up Cademan's call guy, Derek Webb, who is also a pastor in Nashville, by the way, um, and Flamey Grant hit the top of the Christian charts. And trust me, they couldn't have been more happy that they were mocking Christians in that profound way. Let me give you a for instance. The song that I just shared with you was on an album and it's called The Jesus Hypothesis and it features collaborations with Flamey Grant and songs like Boys Will Be Girls. Now, so if you see there from that uh, song choice that they're not only interested in mocking Christians, but they're also interested in targeting children, maybe just one other thing. When Sean Foyt tweeted out what he tweeted, Flamey Grant responded to him and he said this, in goal, baby, we're just getting started. Well, how loving, how kind, how tolerant and not judgmental at all. Um, so please, for the love of God, no, please, no. Um, now, the Good Day song that Flamey Grant uh, put together did hit the top of the charge, but it just shows me something, that the deconstructionists are committed to their de deconstructive campaign and their, and their destructive campaign. Um, and they're going to continue to try to destroy Christianity until it changes it fundamentally. That's their goal. I hope you understand this. Now, here's one of the sad things, but the sad realities about what just took place with this story is that what we see is not only a bunch of ghoulish, demonically inspired people who want to target children and sexualize them and then also lie to themselves and a group of people and try to mock Christianity and tear it down. But we also see in that that these people are highly motivated to support one another. You know, just recently, Oliver Anthony, who wrote the song Richmond, North of Richmond, uh, got a bunch of people on the right to critique his song because he used curse words in the song. And this is why we can't have nice things, because the moment anybody stands up and declares a truth and does anything great, uh, conservatives have, and especially Christian conservatives, have the habit of trying to distance themselves from it instead of celebrating that thing, because they're not sure how their secular atheistic counterparts are going to like that, and they feel like there's some reason, for some reason, they have to please those people. Uh, they, they totally overlook the man-pleasing parts of the Bible, and they're absolutely dedicated and obsessed with pleasing people. But if we could actually get something from the other side of the aisle here, it would be the kind of rabid support that these people give um, each other. 
this is what conservative Christians have to do. We have to band together if we're really going to make a difference. We can't let these people show us what unity looks like when they're uniting for a lie, when we have the truth uniting us together and something that we should be way more committed to celebrating. The other thing is just simply this, is that if we're truly going to stand for truth, we have to quit avoiding the elephant in the room. I know we think by saying we're just preaching the gospel and you can't legislate righteousness. By that we mean we're going to avoid at all costs anything that would alienate these people from us and we're not going to get behind legislation that would keep a child from being gender mutilated. No, we're going to avoid that at all costs because we need to be seen as sufficiently loving. All of that is is just simply this. It is an inability to be honest with yourself and with other people. Or there's another word for that. You're lying. When you refuse to address the elephant in the room, you make things bad for everybody else. And that's not how real relationships form. I don't know if you're married out there, but I can tell you this. In a healthy marriage, you don't avoid things for the sake of unity. You address things because they have the tendency to fester and get worse if you don't. And then it's not just the fault of the person who created whatever strife is in your life. It's also your fault for not addressing the issue in the first place because If you don't address it, you can't actually fix it, and you can't expect the individual to know um, if they did something without, without addressing it in the first place. So all I'm trying to say is that not addressing the elephant in the room is a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for dishonesty, and it is a recipe for the deconstruction movement to do exactly what they want to do. So all I can tell you is they're motivated to support each other, and they're just getting started in their deconstructive attempts to destroy Christianity. I wish we could say the same of Christian conservatives, that we are just getting started in promoting voices that are willing to tell the truth and take a stand against the LGBTQ cult that is bent upon mocking Christianity. If you actually care about people who are making a mockery of the faith, I would love to hear from you down in the comment section below. And more importantly, I'd love to see you start using your social media feed to start promoting the people who are taking a stand in the voices that need to be platformed at this time. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.